This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Hey, welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. This isn't the Decibel Geek Podcast. It's not the Decibel Geek Podcast. This is Growing Up Rock, but we got friends in the studio. You owe us $5 for using the name. Yeah. Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Hey. Gene Simmons taught us everything we know. What are you guys doing in my studio? Oh, this is a really nice studio you got here in Nashville, Tennessee. I know. It's got Decibel Geek posters and Rockstar posters. <laughs> oh, and like stuff autographed yeah. to Aaron and Chris. What wow. is that? This is like a crazy like crossover Twilight Zone moment. Feel so at home. Yeah. I never realized what a big fan you are, all this Decibel Geek stuff on the walls. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? This must be your summer studio, right? That's right. It is. I'm not going to put any lotion in a basket for you, so just, <laughs> just get that out of the way. And we can all thank God for that. <laughs> but you can still let us out of this pit anytime. Yeah. All right. So you guys, uh, I'll let you out as soon as you uh, uh, intro this episode. So I spent last week um, at a dog park in Atlanta interviewing Tuck from the Biters. You guys like the Biters? Hell yeah. Yeah, I love the Biters. Cool band and uh, cool story. This guy uh, was kind enough to sit down with me for an hour while we uh, watched over his dog run around the park and a bunch of other dogs and it was a beautiful day in Atlanta. Really great interview coming up. Tell us, what do you like about the Biters? What's what's cool about that record? The new one? Yeah, the, the new future one. ain't what it used to be. Yeah, it's one of the best albums of the year. You know what I love about the Biters in general is they wear their influences on their sleeve. You know, you yeah. you hear a lot of you know Thin Lizzy sound. It's and on the new one you hear a lot of T Rex influence, of course. But no, Tuck's a great singer. I don't know if he's the main songwriter, but who, he uh, is. Is he? Yeah. Uh, but it's just, you know, if you, if you're a fan of the, uh, you know, late seventies hard rock scene and they're your band, I mean, they're, they're just, they fit right. They sound like a throwback, but they still sound fresh. They don't sound like they're absolutely aping somebody. Right. Which yeah. Is, which is what he's really going for. I mean, that's, uh, the interview. He'll talk about that. I mean, he's, he's really honest about his influences and what he digs. Right, huh? Yeah, I could I could always dig a young band coming out with that spirit and that sound of, of back in the day, the kind of stuff that we love, the kind of stuff that you love, you know? And this is a band that, you know, like I always say about bands like The Tip and like Denman, you know, it gives me hope for the future. Yeah, and we and we played the Biters on that uh, 2015 album, Electric Blood. We played that on one of our Fresh Blood episodes. Yeah, and got good response to it, too. People dig this band. Yep, so we hope that you'll uh, enjoy this episode and this uh, conversation with Tuck. Um, Decibel Geek, you can catch them. You guys want to plug your, uh, your... Well, I think first Chris has to read Geeks of the Week, right? Or is it Grown Ups of the Week? <laughs> oh, God. You got the Grown Ups of the Week list? <laughs> we don't have the Grown Ups okay, of the good. Week. Okay, good. You're off the hook. Okay, cool. And, and we wouldn't have 500 names anyway like Decibel Geek. Oh. Well, I just got to get the Mooger Fugger to start listening to your show so you can mention that name every week. You know, Mooger Fugger promised that he'd uh, subscribe and listen. I think he subscribed right while we were sitting there. Sweet. At the, uh, well, then he's hearing the this. the Rockin' Pod. So yeah, he's a cool he's, dude. Really if cool. If he's though. listening, he should uh, come to the growinguprock.com and tell us his rock and roll story. I know he's got one. You know he's got one, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can go to decibelgeek.com to, to of course, iTunes and uh, all the podcasting apps and stuff. And, uh, We're yeah. everywhere. We're Facebook, all over the place. Name it. You know, we're there. You guys are doing an awesome job filling in for uh, Hollywood Pooney while he goes back and forth between the left coast and uh, Aaron's uh, old stomping grounds. Yeah, I was going to say we're going to stop calling him Hollywood Pooney and start calling him Sunny Kenosha Pooney. It's got a ring to it, I think. I, I like it. I like it. We'll have to check with him. Hollywood Kenosha. <laughs> Pretty cool. Love that guy. All right. Well, we won't hold out any longer. We'll get straight to the episode. Here's uh, my interview with uh, Tuck from The Biters. Enjoy. Rolling 
This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Hey, Tuck. Welcome to the show. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing good. Thanks for meeting me at the dog park. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just to describe to the to the listeners a little bit, we're out back of a coffee house and uh, just uh, playing with the dogs in the dog park. Pretty cool. Different setting. Beautiful. That'd be a nice change of pace. Oh, for sure. And it's a beautiful day here in Atlanta. So that's that's awesome as well. It's all good. Uh, so, hey, uh, doing a little research on the Biters, um, you guys are part of the Eric Records um, uh, family, which is, is interesting when you start looking at their, uh, their artist roster. Uh, they have uh, some really hardcore bands like Carcass and Napalm Death, and, and then in the middle, there's uh, the Biters from Atlanta. Uh, when we signed, well, when we first knew there was interest in Eric, uh, my previous manager was like, I, you know, you, I think you're going to get an offer from this label, but don't like freak out. Let me just get the offer for you. Look at it. And, uh, when I saw it was eerie cause I've been familiar with all that metal stuff. Um, because you know, I dig a lot of it. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool, man. Um, and they seem to take a real interest in kind of old school rock and roll cause they have rival sons, um, which are great and they're massive overseas and, they have Blackberry Smoke, uh, which we did a tour with it, and they're and they're amazing and they're killer. It's very old school rock and roll temperance movement. So I know they're trying to rebrand the label into doing more old school rock and roll stuff, which is cool. It's awesome. I don't really know if they know how to market a band like us. Um, so it's kind of an odd fit, but it's it's cool. Yeah, and the band the band was formed in '09. Is that correct? Somewhere around that time, yeah. Yeah, and how did that all come together? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I was in a... Well, I'd been in it several previous bands, and I was never a singer or a, never wrote songs, but um, I, I had one band, and, and we, we broke up the party, and it was a little too much. And it just kind of imploded. It was very very chaotic, a lot of party, and just a lot of kind of recklessness because we got a record deal when we were like 18 and 19, and we were just kind of like fucking wild animals let out of the zoo. So it didn't last very long. So then I tried to start another band, and I was trying to figure out how to sing and trying to figure out how to write because I kind of had to take a step up to the front and kind of figure out how to be a front man and we went on a couple tours and then uh, a lot of heavy drugs got involved like heroin not with me but with other members and there ended up being some overdoses and some jails and some rehab and just a lot of kind of negative things um, and so I kind of had to do a clean slate and that's kind of where Biters started and so all these transitions were very kind of like smooth so it was just me kind of hopping from band to another to another and you guys put out um, uh, an EP, but um, really, so the, and I've seen uh, the title debut record, which is Electric Blood, but Electric Blood really wasn't your debut because you had an EP and in in an earlier record out on a different label um, uh, around 2011, right? Yeah, we released the record in 2010, 2011, 2012, and 2014. And so, yeah, a lot of people when we got on earache it's the first time we've actually had like um proper press i would say not really in the states we didn't really get any press here but overseas so a lot of people think that's our first record um which is weird because we you know we've been chugging along and doing diy stuff for a long time but yeah it's a big misconception but i just released a compilation of all like the pre-earache stuff kind of like a greatest singles collection hits um to try to introduce fans into the newer fans into the back catalog yeah which i think is important because when you go back to some of that back catalog stuff i mean it's 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 in line with um the more current stuff meaning that it's just not like some bands they're almost a completely different band when they first start up uh to what they become but uh, to me, the biters are, are all, you know, I mean, it all sounds like it belongs to the same band. You know, there's difference, differences, obviously, from record to record, but uh, the sound is all kind of um, generally coming from the same band. Uh, and one of the things that impressed me is, is uh, you guys' videos. I mean, you guys do a lot of videos uh, that are out there on YouTube that are, that are really, 
you know, quite good, especially since, you know, MTV doesn't really play videos <laughs> anymore. Well, the thing about videos, uh, which a lot of people don't know this about the band, um, some of the first records I've made in t- 2011 and the last record I just put out a couple months ago has been the same engineer and producer, one of my best friends, Dan Dixon, and every video um, has been made by one of my best friends, Raheem. So, like, I have a team of people that I love and my friends that I choose to work with. Um, and since it's in Atlanta and since I know them, I'm able to be, like, really, really hands-on um, with the entire process, which is important to me. Um, cause there's a misconception about a lot of bands. They think just, uh, there's like people sitting behind, uh, you know, in, in an office thinking, how are we going to market this band? How are we going to do that? You know, they think there's like some corporate entity behind bands, especially when you get on a label. But, uh, my label is never, I've never let them tell me, I've always told them to fuck off. I do exactly what I want. They've wanted me to work with other videographers and they've wanted me to work with, some stuff I really didn't want to do, but I've just continued to kind of keep my keep my team because they understand what I do. Now I'm not saying like if a major producer or video, videographer showed up, I wouldn't take that. But to me, it's really important to stay loyal and, and kind of stay around people who believe in you. Um, and so, yeah, I get the opportunity to kind of do those videos and, and cast and, and and co-direct and work with my friends, and I think that's really important. And how long have you been in the uh, in Atlanta? Have you been here all your life? No, I grew up in like a kind of like a small town. I moved here when I got kicked out of high school. I lived in a squat house like two streets over and um it's kind of gentrified a lot since then, but you know, we shit in bags and threw it in the backyard and we had no electricity for a while. We turned the water on in the street, so yeah. It was very I was very punk rock. Wow. Yeah. And and that you did that uh, right out of high school or, or yeah. yeah yeah and then I came here and started a, a band called the Heart Attacks. We ended up getting signed to Hellcat Records. We went on tour with Rancid and we did a bunch of cool stuff like that. But it just imploded because there was no there were no adults around. Right, and that was much more of a straight up punk. No, it was like Dead Boys and Hanoi Rocks. Yeah, that okay. kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so not too too far from from uh, where where we're living now. Yeah, a lot, lot more reckless and crazy. Yeah, yeah. Of, early Guns and Roses, okay. roast tattoo stuff like that. Okay, fair enough. And so, what was getting into music for you like in the in the early years? What was your your uh, um, introduction into music? Uh, I think it was just my uh, my mom was a, a rocker always, and so is early as I remember she would be riding around listening to some of my favorite bands today like she loved ACDC um and she went to see ACDC when she was pregnant with me and and um it was Brian Johnson era of course but she loved Bon Scott but she she always said Angus ran through the crowd and he got she got his sweat all over her and it seeped into her pores and then it went into me she's really funny so it's a cool story but it's weird because a lot of the stuff that she she always listened to like vintage music she she never like was like hip so she listened to acdc and tom petty and ccr which wasn't current but to me those are like some of my favorite stuff today especially tom petty and the heartbreakers and acdc those are in my top five so that really made a, a lasting mark on me um stuff like that and uh of course, then you get very rebellious growing up in a small town, and I got into punk rock big, big time. Right. Was there a lot of music around the house, like, you know, albums, cassettes, that type stuff? No. I mean, no. No, they wouldn't even let me listen to, like, well, I had a very, like, opp- oppressive uh, kind of stepdad. He was really racist. He was homophobic. He was closed-minded. He uh, he hated animals. Like, really, any of the qualities that you would attribute to a decent human being he would lack in that so he wanted me to listen to leonard skinner and and clint black and modern country or whatever he was listening to and you know i wanted to listen to like alternative music and and then he called it um he said that was for faggots so i wasn't allowed to listen to any of that um which made me want to listen to it more to (laughs) rock and roll more okay so that's what kind of drove yeah so bands like rancid and like where I grew up, so I've always had like this rebellious instinct to like want to go against. So I was 
from a primordial standpoint, I was attracted to anything kind of re- rebellious or, or outside of the norm. Um, so I was attracted to a lot of punk stuff, um, especially in a small town. You don't really have a, there's no litmus test to find out what's cool. So I kind of experimented, but um, yeah, he ha- anything he hated, I would probably like more. So, so when did you when did you start to seek out then rock and roll or or stray from that? It, it. What do you mean when? Like what? Like what age? What? Yeah. What age? Middle school. Middle school. Middle school. I got heavily, heavily. Um, our high school and middle school was together, so I got to see like some of the seniors when I was eleven years old, with crazy dyed hair, like ranted shirts or whatever it was and so I thought that was cool and they there was like little local shows at the depot like the train depot and I would go over there and bands would play on the floor and it was just packed and sweaty so th- that really got me interested and then I begged to play for a guitar um and so my stepmom had a little acoustic guitar and I just started learning how to play and I just that's all I cared about right and that was um that was was there anything middle that school. you was there anything that you saw or um, that flipped the switch that said, "Hey, I want to do this, you know, for my life. This is I want to be a musician." I wanna- no, no, because I was never really uh, raised in, like my upbringing was never like a thing. Like you should go for your dreams, you should achieve it. It was always like uh, the mentality from my dad or whatever was always like. Uh, you're going to go to prison, you need to go work at the factory, you need to go into the army. So it wasn't really like a situation where you were like, you should strive. So I really kind of, it was kind of, and that's kind of the environment you grow up in, in a place where you don't really, it's very, like I said, it's very oppressive and you you think real small and you don't ever dream really big. So to me saying, this is what I want to do with my life, it was never, I just kind of fell in to one thing and in between all all the partying and, and chasing girls and acting like a fool somehow i came out on the other side like but yeah i mean i played in bands in high school and it was never you just to me i never thought i was gonna live anywhere but like a trailer right so it was never like anything like that kind of mentality but i played in a bunch of hardcore bands and would do little tours but then when i joined that band the heart attacks and we got a deal and it was relatively easy and we got a record deal just off just swagger and attitude. Right. And the next thing you know, we were opening for thousands of people. And I was like, oh, this is fucking easy. I always thought it was that easy. It's not. No. That was a, vi- that was a very like lucky kind of thing. And, and that's why I'm kind of so guarded on everything I do now. Because I've worked for years and years and years to get uh, just get the band just to get myself and get the band up to, to a level where it can be noticed and re- respected. And it's been, it's been fucking rough. Um, so now to see stuff paying off, I'm very guarded by it, but back to your question. Sorry, I got off on a tangent. That's okay. There's, you know, there's been a couple little pivotal points. Um, my mom, like I said, she didn't want me to listen to modern music cause she, it's really weird. I was allowed to listen to, to ACDC, but I couldn't listen to green day. I could listen to Aerosmith, but I couldn't listen to to No Effects, you, you know. And so I don't know what, 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 yeah. because uh, really weird. But so my mom, uh, the first tape she bought me was ACDC Back in Black, nice. And that's like my still one of my favorites. And um, it's not a bad place to start. No, it's amazing. Um, uh, but I do remember being in 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 middle school, and there was a channel called TNT, and they used to play old movies. Uh, and Over the Edge came on, and I related to, I re, sorry, these dogs are going crazy. <laughs> I related to that movie topically, uh, you know, being the outcast, teenager, or whatever, and that soundtrack on Over the Edge, it's got like Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, ACDC, and then the scene, um, and I tell the story all the time, but this is a very pivotal point. A kid runs upstairs in the movie and slams the door to his parents, and they've been in a big fight. And he puts on his headphones, and Surrender comes on by Cheap Trick. And that was like a pivotal, it made an imprint in my brain. Um, and then looking back, I had to do like some psychological digging. I knew that was like a, a major pivotal point. So that kind of sound and that blueprint is still kind of what I want to do. And it's weird how stuff like that wears off when you're a kid. 
Well, and I think you just, I think you, you nailed it, right? You just, you just said, um, basically what, what we talk about all the time, which is how much of an emotional connection certain songs or certain periods, uh, whether it's in a movie or it's personally in your life that takes you right back there to that time and, and kind of shapes the person or the artist that you are today. I mean, uh, some of that music, uh, whether it's ACDC or it's Cheap Trick, um, those are those are definitely part of, uh, in my opinion anyway, part of the biter DNA, uh, if yeah, you will. Yeah. No, I, I agree, and it's weird because that movie put like a a visual and an emotional connection with the song. I didn't even know it was Cheap Trick. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then years later, I heard it on the radio. I thought it was the Sex Pistols when I was like 15, 16. I had no idea. And then, you know, 7, 18, you realize, oh, man, that's Cheap Trick. So it's really, it, it is really weird how I could relate to that. You know, stuff when you're happy with a kid, traumatic things stick with you your whole life and kind of um, mold who you are. And the positive ones, too, so... I'm glad that some, I, I'm very happy that I gravitated more towards that sound and feeling. I don't know why, because it wasn't popular and it's still not very popular. It was kind of out of place for the time. You know, people were listening. I don't fucking know, because I've never been into popular music, but I'm just glad that I was able to kind of find a path that was different. Right, find the find the uh, the alleyway that you wanted your band yeah. to live in, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. That's funny. The, the one, the one dog keeps that. trying to swim in the uh, in the the water dish. Yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, you know, it's interesting because um, a lot of uh, people say, well, well, what was old once is now new again, and and I think uh, I think that's really just um, you know, us as music fans. Um, maybe trying to embrace uh, some of that music that we loved from that period of time that really isn't being created so much anymore, you know? Uh, so we're looking for uh, that sound that takes us back to that period in our lives, but we're looking for new music, um, so to speak, right? Yeah, it's really weird because I tell people, I said, why am I obsessed with music that came out way before I was born? And I'm it's really weird, and I try to have a really open mind, and there's been some great bands that's came out, but my favorite stuff came out way before I was born. Um, and I say, is something wrong with me? And I asked my manager, he goes, no. He said it was just fucking better back then. Uh, you, popular music was just better back then. Do you hear anything these days that, that you, you like or, or can gravitate to at all? Yeah, but it's more like nothing really on a... M mainstream scale I don't think because I think kind of like just um my background and and who I and who I am and and, and then also kind of being around people or in studios when I listen to bands that are marketed as, as rock and roll and I hear their vocals auto-tuned and fake drums and I you can go online and see that five pop co-writers wrote on their track and I can hear it and I'm like you could put Katy Perry on on this track and it would sound the same now i love pop bubblegum pop music so it's not like i'm advocating but there's something like uh i don't really think somebody like kurt cobain would let five pop writers write on his song or and i i can hear it but the, the problem the thing is regular people can't hear it and they don't care so it's kind of like does it really matter because the stuff that bothers me doesn't bother the common punter right and you, you know. talked a little bit about the writing process. Uh, what for the biters? How how does that writing process work? Do you all write, or or how does that work? No, I usually um, will demo out a song in my house. Um, I'll program the drums, but I'll do like full production demos, so they're completely done. And then when we go to the studio. I'll just take away the fake drums, and I'll have the drummer play to that, and then we kind of strip it back. Now, are you the sole writer in the band? Yes. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, and so well, I think a big misconception is uh, people that aren't in bands, they think that um, it's something you just can do, but it's just like a craft or a trade. A lot of people, I mean, you have to really work at it. Um, so people go, you're the, 
you know, you're the you're the drummer. You can help write songs, but I'm like, hey, he's you know, he's never wrote a lyric. You know, it's it's like that. It's a big misconception. And there's been great bands like Queen or the Beatles or stuff like that where the whole band does write. Yeah, I think it's a different it's a different dynamic in every band. You have uh, you have drummers that are. Um, uh, Mike and I Poss- wasn't taking Sabbath drummers because I no. love drummers. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. no, but but you have drummers in some bands that may be the actual best musician in the band, and then you may have singers that may be the best musician in the band, but all they do is sing. But they're uh, amazing guitar players, and 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 so I think uh, I think it just comes down to who has um uh sensibility for melodies or for lyrics or uh for arrangement right yeah totally um i mean you, you nailed it i know i know st- like st- st- somebody like steven tyler he'll write every everything and then i've heard stories about him going crazy on his band because the drummer can't play it right and he's like i'll fucking go back there and play that well, and he he grew up. He was originally a drummer, right? So he yeah. has a he has a mindset about what he wants when he writes a song. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I agree. I just yeah. That, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about touring and about writing and all these things like that. And a lot of them are guarded and kind of secret. But you know. <laughs> yeah. So so you demo out the songs. You get an idea. You demo out the songs. You bring the songs to the band and and uh, strip it down and let them add their their part or or whatever. No, I it. usually just when I send them a Dropbox of like uh, the songs, and then uh, we kind of if I like for the last record, I wrote like thirty songs and whittled it down to, to twelve, and then. Um, and then say, learn these, and then we go play them. Um, but like the bass and stuff, like uh, the bass player that quit, like he didn't really learn the songs or take the time. So he came in and kind of fucked off for a couple hours. When he left, we just redid them. Because mm-hmm. to me, the record sounding right is the most important thing. And recently, you guys, so you talked about that. Recently, you guys had a, a, a bass player change, and I think you, you ended up with um, a bass player from Nashville that was in a band called The Tip. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Ricky. Yeah, but I've known him forever. Have you? Yeah, he used to be in a band called The Booze, and we were on the same label as them. Okay. So, and we toured in the same. <laughs> Added soundtrack. Uh, Ricky is so fucking awesome, man. Uh, we toured with his other band called The Booze in the same van. It was like 12 of us. Full U.S. tour. It was awesome. But he's one of the most driven, uh, well-rounded musicians that I've that I've ever played with. And he he's actually a, a guitar player. And he, he's, to me, he's as good as somebody like uh, Joe Perry. He's killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's... He, He's playing bass in this band, and he's like, "Fine, I'm fine. I'll be Tom Peterson." Yeah. So, so did was he the first person you called when your old bass player quit? No, I actually called Ricky because he plays in a lot of Nashville cover bands, and I was looking for somebody that could learn the material really quick because our bass player quit three weeks before a tour that, oh, he, wow. ag- that he agreed to. But you know, you got to keep kind of like moving. Yeah. And I said, "Ricky, do you know anybody?" And he said. Yeah, let me check. And then about a day later, he goes, you know, actually, I've been working on singing, and I can play bass. Okay. Said, Ricky, for real? He goes, yeah. So we tried him out for a tour, and he was so good um, and so easy to deal with. I'm just like, yeah, Ricky, just stay with us. Perfect. <laughs> so so let's talk a little bit about the, the newest record that was released in May of this year, which is... Uh, future Ain't What It Used To Be. Yeah, The Future Ain't What It Used That's To Be. That's our old Yogi Berra. Quote. Yeah. Well, you know what else I found out is that that was a title of a Doors record at one point in time, too, which I didn't know. Did it get released? I, you know, I don't know whether it was ever released or not, but it, it came up when I was looking into titles. I did not know that. I know Meatloaf had a song title. Yeah. yeah, I, Which I love Meatloaf, but I found that out afterwards. Yeah. After like 60 years of rock and roll, it's kind of hard to find anything left. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's all it's all influenced. I don't think there's any such thing as all by yourself in rock and roll, but that's no. okay. Um, so for me, um, this record is, um, a little bit of a change in that it seems like, and, and rock and roll is not the right term because it is still a rock and roll record. It's, um, maybe a little less, um, 
the guitars are a little less in the mix than than uh, the last record. It seems maybe that the um, the hooks are are a lot bigger um, uh, on this record. Um, was it a conscious effort to kind of uh, go in a little bit different direction or, or change the sound a little bit of the band uh, from last record to this one? Um, it was kind of, but it's like the heavy kind of seventies glitter rock stuff. I've been doing that a lot on previous EPs and with electric blood, I kept kind of getting lumped into like, um, more of a eighties rock thing, which I don't have anything against, but I would rather listen to T-Rex and Moth the Hoople and sweet than, than, than Motley Crue and poison and, and no, nothing against those bands cause they're great. But, um, um, like I said, people sometimes don't get it and, my true true love is that early 70s british glam stuff and um so when i write when i was writing this record i mean it's the same we recorded at the same studio as we did electric blood mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same stuff and it's the same guitar amps i just wanted to uh amp up the production and um i wanted to change i wanted to write around grooves that was a big thing i wanted to write around drum grooves so i would pick like certain grooves and build a drum loop in my room and then kind of write around that um more yeah, I mean, anthemic it, stuff yeah, yeah it it definitely to me i mean it's not like it's a complete departure that they're very similar um uh sounds but uh it just to me it is different yeah yeah it's on purpose I, I was writing it honestly like a solo record because i this is the first time that i really just did everything and i went and did a couple co-writes with my buddy because um, you know it's a lot of pressure for one person to continue to write. So uh, me and Dan wrote a, wrote uh, co-wrote some stuff, and me and my buddy Scott out in LA did two songs, and it was um, it was awesome. It was great to kind of be around really driven, creative people. So that kind of like fucking surged me with some power, kind of being around these really driven, creative people. Um. And then wanting to do something different um, because I, I didn't think I was getting took serious enough as a songwriter and it was pissing me off. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I did something that would kind of make me stand out on this record. Which is kind hook, of... Hook-wise. Yeah, That's which is record. kind of a miss because, um, you know, I, I don't know whether people um, uh, really dig into the sound of the biters, but there there is an, a massive amount of hooks and fantastic melodies. So uh, songwriting is something that um, in a band like this may be uh, overlooked sometimes and it may be dismissed as just another rock band or retro rock band or whatever uh the the people want to label it but to me uh there are some really really good hooks and melodies in these songs which comes back to the songwriting is there is there anything that you um kind of uh model yourself after when you're doing song when you're working on songs is there any kind of structure any um artist that you kind of look at when you're um honing your craft as a songwriter uh that's a good really good question i think that um as the stakes kind of went up uh when we started getting more popular and doing stuff i kind of realized that it didn't matter what guitar amp I was using. It didn't matter, you know, how big my hair was. It didn't matter anything, how how we looked. I, I, re, I kind of realized that the biggest currency you have in music is your songs. And I always kind of knew that. And then when it really dawned on me that having, especially in this type of band, having great songs is going to be what gets us to where I want to be. And when I started listening to the music I love that made me feel good, it always came back to this is the song. So I essentially, like, you know how when a, when a weightlifter, before they do a, a big, like, bodybuilding show, they fucking, they go on a crazy diet. I went on, like, a musical diet, so I cut any kind of shit with fat on it out, and I would only listen to the greats. You know, I would listen to Big Star and hit some cheap trick, especially a lot of Tom Petty because I think he's got <clears throat> he's got he's like an idiot savant. He uses the same three three four chords and uh, he's able to transcend age and race and anything. Any anybody knows his songs, so 
Um, he's a big staple. Thin Lizzy, Phil Line, it's a great lyricist and got a great sense of melody. And, um, so yeah, the the Beatles and the Stones. So I cut a lot of fat, and I just would like focus on the big stuff. T Rex, T Rex. Yeah, I think Mark Boland had some great songs, but to me, it was like he idolized John Lennon. So I was listening to a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of the drum sounds and vocal slapback on the record are like instant karma style John Lennon stuff, that double vocally stuff. Um, and Bowie's always been a ma- massive influence on the songwriting to me. Some somebody I don't hear you you guys mention much, and I don't know whether you listen to her or not, but I hear some of it in some of the songs, which is uh, Susie Quattro a little bit. Yeah, I got Susie Quattro. Oh yeah, look at that! Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the people who wrote all the songs for Sweet and Susie Quattro. And several other bands back in there were called uh, Chin and Chapman, and they were a songwriting production duo. So that whole, and he wrote for Gary Glitter. So that whole drum sound, that vocal sound, and everything, and the style of songs were written by the songwriting team. They ended up uh, writing some stuff in the 80s, too, but they kind of uh, they wrote Ballroom Blitz and they wrote 48 Crash and all the hits. So anything that those guys had written has always been like a, a massive influence, especially the drum sounds and their production. I just picked up this, uh, like, uh, I don't know, it's like a double or triple uh, record of, of sweet stuff. And, and really, I mean, I knew some of the sweet um, uh, stuff, but I didn't know all of it. So I went back to try and dig in and discover that band a little bit. Man, so much, so much good material on those records. Uh, really fantastic. Yeah, what's crazy about, like, a band like The Sweet and Slade, like, the whole L.A., explosion it wouldn't have been unless it was those bands like Nikki Six's favorite band was the sweet so to me i've always gravitated towards that stuff but yeah i mean i love everything i love old country you know i like a lot of pop music i like a lot of 80s pop anything with a good hook like i love the cars massively i love nick gilder he's a really big influence on me a lot of power pop stuff elvis costello i love all that yeah, you, how can you not really uh, like some of that stuff as a songwriter and as a music fan? You can't you can't just live in one world. You have to yeah 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 yeah. But I mean, there's so much good stuff in every genre. That's where I try to like find my niche. So so what's what's the story with the three eyed tiger? <laughs> I noticed that quite a bit now on on a lot of this. Um, well, stuff. I just like to me like I like branding a lot, and I'm really into fashion and. Uh, the visual has always been an important part of rock and roll. Uh, for me personally, it's not really a big deal now in rock and roll. But, um, I well, the biters. I'm like, I want a logo. I mean, when you think of the Stones, you think of the iconic tongue, and when you think of Guns and Roses, you think of the, the the pistols and the roses, and you know the Misfits and the Ramones. And uh, I was like, man, these massive killer bands have these iconic images that uh come to mind when you think of them and so i've always thought tigers were bad as hell my dad owned a gym called tux power dome in griffin georgia and his logo was a butt naked tiger uh that was like steroided out busting a weight in half but it had no dick or ball so it was like this like what are they called when you he's just genderless like a unit yeah Yeah. so no dick but he would look like a big steroided out muscle-bound tiger busting a barbell in half and so he had all these tiger stuff around the gym when I was a kid. So I've always thought they were like the coolest animal. And then I'm really into like a lot of metaphysical things and stuff like that. So I added the third eye. Uh, just a joke. You know, I call it the all-seeing eye of the tiger. It's funny. but um, That's funny. All-seeing eye of the tiger. <laughs> yes, Perfect. But, but I thought, I mean, it's such a powerful imagery. You know, and there's that famous iconic Iggy Pop photo. I don't know if Bob Gruen took it. And he's got the, the leather jacket. And it's got like the... um the leopard on the back yeah i think and I it's know like which one killer and i'm like yeah, man yeah. that looks so good and i was like i'm gonna do a tiger so i'm glad because there's been so many tattoos of that right like hundreds of people have got the tattoo that's cool which is killer yeah so it worked yeah, yeah it works <laughs> yeah. out fine yeah. that's cool do you remember uh do you remember the first uh uh record you ever purchased are you talking about vinyl? Uh, well, so yeah, let me let me ask this question first. Are are you a a, a vinyl, a CD, or an eight track or a cassette guy? Uh, definitely not an eight track guy. No, I like vinyl because it just that's when a lot of my favorite music came out during that era. Um, 
and I think by nature, human beings like to collect shit. Um, so to me, what better thing to collect than music that came out during the era when it was most popular? So I have an okay record collection, and uh, fortunately, I get to travel a lot. And sometimes I'll save my per diems and buy, you know, some vinyl. But um, yeah, definitely collect vinyl. I love it more than anything. But I don't remember my first record because I was just kind of only gotten serious about it the last couple of years. But right. But I mean, my first thing people bought that I bought, I don't know, probably fucking something at the CD store. Like I don't know. Yeah. Black uh, flag tapers. You know, just I don't know. I don't remember. Right. Uh, well, and the reason I ask eight tracks because I noticed a pretty cool thing, which is uh, the biters on their on your uh, website, your store website. You have eight tracks available. Yeah. Well, that I was kind of doing it as a joke because people uh, kept releasing these sh- real shitty sounding c- cassette tapes. Uh-huh. And cassettes are like the worst format to listen to music on possibly. And, and like uh, all these every, all these people were doing these big cassette things to kind of be. Hey, I uh, started with cassettes. <laughs> well, I know because that was a format. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to do an eight track to be funny. And a guy was like, I can make you some eight tracks. I'm like. This would be hilarious. So I just printed like 15 of them, 20 of them. Yeah. I sold them. I mean, they were expensive to make. Some I signed them. People wanted to buy them for 40, 50 bucks. I was like, cool. Because I like collecting stuff like that. Yeah. I've got like some Cheap Trick um, and some Kiss 8-tracks in my studio that are cool. They're cool to collect, you know? Yeah, there's definitely some collectors out there, especially with the return of vinyl these days. I mean, there are some people that that definitely get into 8-tracks and even cassettes nowadays. There's Yeah, cassettes. People are getting those again. Um, I just like anything. It's like collecting antiques to me because you got to think about it. That rock and roll stuff is 40-something years old, so anytime I can get like a tour program or a poster or something like that i buy it because it's just memorabilia right any any concerts early on in your life that that were major impacts for you do you remember your first concert i just well it wasn't it wasn't like people that i know like man i went and saw fucking i don't know slayer and it was awesome but i always just went to local like punk shows um and i would go to them all the time so that was it wasn't like a one big concert. It was always like little shows. And I grew up uh, going into Atlanta to the city to see tons of punk bands growing up. So that was kind of my introduction. Gypsy. So, so you really, I mean, you really weren't influenced by anything mainstream then early on in in your your life i mean as, well, as I mean, a kid yeah my mom acdc aerosmith right she, that was a kid but yeah i was very heavily in very but you weren't going to see you weren't going to see concerts or i mean for me like i remember the first the first records i bought or the first concert i went and, and saw i remember those like they were yesterday for you it was it was not really that way. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, there's bands like, what was I going to go see? Nickelback, Saliva, Puddle of Mud. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the not, time was different. I, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, absolutely yeah, I mean, right. I loved the, um, the Strokes came out when I was like, uh, I was already like in bands and stuff when Jet, Strokes, Darkness came out. Um, that's 15 years old i was like a fucking child when that came out but that's interesting to think about because you're you're 100 percent right which is the time the music the music for you uh when you were growing up was so much different than say for somebody like myself where i could go see acdc well there used to be there used to be cool bands that were big come on now there used to be cool bands that were big and um it's really not like that anymore it's a lot of premeditated I'm not gonna call it garbage I just don't like I'm not really into active rock and to me like music is all uh, personal taste of perspective so I would never say something sucks if I don't like it you know everybody likes a bunch of different stuff but that's right I mean but if I was a kid now coming up what big rock bands would have to choose from Foo Fighters they've been out since 1995 yeah, I think it's all personal preference. I mean, that's a great point, right? It's it's uh, that's what's beautiful about music is it really is personal preference. It's not that something is is any better or worse uh, than than other stuff. It's all about what you prefer, you know. I mean, I um, 
I don't think I'm the only one that says this. I'm not saying anything crazy, but rock and roll is definitely, especially in the States, been completely dethroned. And rock and roll is becoming like the blues. It's becoming like an old man's thing. There's not really a lot of very few younger bands coming up very 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 few which is exactly that's exactly why i think bands like the biters are important and that's i mean that's one of the reasons that i'm here is to try to shed a light on that and here's here's my whole thing and i've been i've been championing this type of of thought process which is bands like the biters that that are a throwback to sounds from the 70s and early 80s are important because you guys are a younger band and you can you can bridge the gap between the generation coming out today and the generation from the from the 60s and 70s if somebody that say 18 or 19 years old hears the biters and goes man i love these guys these guys are a young new band they're killer i love this band and you guys go on record and go hey we loved cheap trick or we loved tom petty or we loved uh t-rex then hopefully those young fans will go back and discover that older music and and it it allows rock and roll to grow and to live on do you you, you see what i'm saying no no i agree 100 percent. i but i really i had that same mentality and i still kind of do but we went on a uh you, you familiar with kerrang magazine absolutely we went on the kerrang tour and it's uh in the uk and it was it was massive so it's like you know three five thousand people a night and um we were like, this is going to be so great because we're going to be in front of uh, younger audiences. But when I got there, the kids didn't, they only wanted to hear pop punk. And uh, they were like, uh, it was not, they were not rock and roll at, at all. They didn't really give a shit. Uh, and so I don't even know if there's that many kids into rock and roll now because they're into hip hop. So like to me trying to find the audience, like they're into a lot of metal and screaming, but like straight up music like this. Um, it's really hard. I don't even know if there's a lot of kids into it. And we have some younger fans, but um, I think it needs to be marketed on a main mainstream. It, one of the things I'm trying to do, especially in production-wise, with our records is, is make it compete with modern records. Because if you showed a 16- or 17-year-old kid an Alice Cooper record, he goes, this sounds like my granddad's music. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, it's like trying to figure out like how bands like Jet and The Strokes and Darkness did that. That was like the last wave of mainstream rock that had a retro feel to it, mm-hmm. um, I think. And that was the early 2000s. So to me, even trying to find the niche. I mean, I worry more so about um, uh, less and less people are coming out and wanting to learn how to play guitar, learn how to play drums, learn how to be a musician or a songwriter. More and more people are being satisfied and being comfortable with um, electronic dance music and samples. And, and hey, guess what? I don't really need to be a musician to make an album. I can sit in my bedroom, program uh, my computer, and make a complete album um, that, pardon the expression, for me sounds like ass. Right. You know, well, I mean, again, I think that's personal taste because I, I think that you should, you should use technology to the fullest. I feel like if the Beatles are around today, they would be using samples and or whatnot because they were trying to be cut, cutting edge. And it's just musical evolution has got to go somewhere with, you know, it's hard to say I'm going to record on tape, but you're also like using an, an iPhone and stuff. And it's like, where do you draw the line for me personally? The what I like, I try to keep it as as real as possible. So I haven't used a lot of the digital effects at all, um, but it's coming whether you like it or not. And but there's there's a difference there's a difference in using technology for the betterment of of a sound and still playing your own instruments, right? You you guys still play your own instruments in the studio and lay down the tracks. I think what's happened is there's no money left in the music industry. People can't afford to make a record for four months. You've got to make an entire record in, in a week and a half or two weeks. So all this stuff was made in Pro Tools. Well, hey, we can fix the drums. We can fix this. We can fix this. And instead of using that to get stuff done quick, people have used it as a backbone. And they said, oh, I'll just fix it later. I'll fix it later. 
And you got to understand, if you're a 13 or 14 year old kid, you've never been alive when you haven't heard perfectly in time, in time drums. You've never heard vocals that weren't completely in tune. Uh, and you've never heard any kind of sloshing. Like if the Stones were playing, they sound like a runaway train. It was awesome. But you've never heard really bands like that. You turn on the radio, everything is fixed 100% completely. So if you're a kid and once you go back and hear stuff that's perfect, once you go back, how do you hear something that's a little bit out of time or pitchy or, or kind of sloshing? So it's going to have to be a shift in consciousness for anything to happen where people kind of want more of a human element back in music. Um, as far as the most popular type of youth music, which is a neo-hip-hop, I'm a big fan of hip-hop. I don't get what the, the mush-mouth stuff is. I don't know what the fuck that is. Um, and then country is like tractor rap. They rap now and it's auto-tuned and it's pop music. There's no money, so people are scrambling. And they're saying, well, this is hot, this is hot. Let's just completely homogenize everything until it's this big digital glob of bullshit. And I, um, so a big area are people who have done away with mainstream music, rightfully so, because a lot of it's garbage. And so they've went underground and they listen to a lot of underground bands. But when you're trying to be big... The audience that's used to mainstream music that goes to the radio or whatever to find their music is only used to hearing this pitch-perfect garbage that's written by the same songwriter. Some of these songwriters uh, have a hundred songs on the radio. They've all, they've all. It sounds the fucking same. Yeah, especially in country. I mean, country, country basically is rock and roll um, these days. Like modern country. I mean, I went to, uh, I, I work a lot of shows and, and, uh, um, I was working, uh, at like a, a Luke Bryant show or something like that. And, and the band ends with, uh, enter Sandman one night and paradise city the next night. I mean, it's completely homogenized, which is fine, but yeah, it's, it's the wild west out here, man. People are scrambling to get money. They're trying to figure it out. You're seeing a lot of people sacrifice integrity just so they can make a living. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do. I under I understand it to a point. I get I get that you got to make a living at the end of the day, and and so I do understand that because you you the days of selling records and and making a bunch of money. Uh, I don't think that I don't know that that exists anymore. You know, for it the can't mainstream. for for a very, for a very small percentage. I mean, I wish that I could wake up one day and and want to play whatever's hip. I would love that. This is not a form of rebellion to kind of play a bygone era of music. It's just what I love, and so you know, that's all you can do is do it, kind of play what you love, uh, regardless. Yeah, I think I think if you're a true artist, that's what you're doing. I mean, if you're if you're if you're a true artist, you're going to play what's near and dear to your heart or what you're feeling. Yeah, but if you look at somebody like David Bowie, he was always on the cusp of trends and kind of lived in the moments and recreated himself. And I think that's cool. And then you have a band like ACDC who's never did anything different at all. Um, so I don't know if there's a formula to it, but I think just kind of doing what you want is going to be the best. So you don't have as many copycats. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that for sure. Uh, without a doubt. So you you guys uh, you guys have done a lot of tours. You talked about being on the road even at an earlier time in in the band's history. Uh, do you have any like crazy tour stories? Anything that happened uh, out there on the road that you want to share or, or tell us about? I mean, it's just a nonstop. It's not. We've been on so many tours, a hundred, that it's not like you know we went on a tour and like it's just m most of the time it's uh, at this point. Uh, we did so many tours. It's not like it's just. It's more of a job, you know. what I mean, it's so hard. We drive ourselves, so there's not really a lot of time to do any kind of extracurricular bullshit on tour. It's so competitive. So the stories of like we were stiffing cocaine off strippers' asses. <laughs> and now it's like, how are we gonna sleep? We gotta try to eat. We gotta get there on time. Yeah. So it's a different world. A different for rock it is. Yeah. So because we're still in a van and a trailer. Sure. Um, 
Well, a lot of pe- a lot of people are. I mean, that's that's how I did it. I was a tour manager for many years uh, and spent uh, a better portion of about ten years of my life on the road and in a van and a trailer. So we're the kindred spirits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I've I've spent. Who were you a tour manager for? Um, I was tour managing a lot of baby bands that had their first uh, records out on labels, mm. and mm. one of those bands was a um, a rap metal uh, act out of Arkansas. Uh, called Mother's Day Out. I don't know them. Uh, Mother's Day Out. Yeah, they were kind of a rap, metal, hardcore. I bet uh, that was fun. It was almost They were acting up. They were young. They were acting up, weren't they? Oh, yeah. They were really young. They were all in their, uh, most of them were all in their teens, so it was uh, their That's first okay. Their first time away from uh, away from home and, and uh, um, major uh, label record, and uh, it was a... Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on with that band, but uh, it was an interesting uh, couple years. Yeah, I think the stuff that uh, a lot of people would think it's crazy um, now just pisses me off. Like when somebody throws up and gets in a fight or somebody gets to jail, to me I'm like, God damn it. Because I've already been, you know, cause I, we, I started touring right out of high school, you know, so it's kind of like um, I still love it, but playing's more important now. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you what what aspect of of the whole thing. So you have you have writing, recording, playing live, and marketing. Uh, out of all that, do you do you kind of stay um, in touch with all of it, or do you prefer one aspect of it to the other? What's uh, well by default, I just have to be involved in all of it. Um, so the social media. I do the writing I do. I usually, my manager is a big help with me right now. He takes uh, a lot of the weight off shoulders, but I've just kind of been doing it. And I think that's just kind of like being in a band now. If you like you, I tell, I tell people, I said, well, I never thought being in a band, I was gonna have to wake up and answer 20 emails. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a change. It yeah. It's days. just changing. Yeah. And you know, I thought the having a record deal would make it easier. It's more work. It's fine. I asked for it, but yeah, it's not like the, the more stuff gets going, the more work you have. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, not, not anymore. Those days are gone and, and you're definitely involved. So do you, do you I need en- to be involved to keep the quality assurance? Right. Do you enjoy, uh, uh, playing or recording better? I just like writing. Oh, sorry, I just like writing and producing the best. I like playing live, of course, while I'm on stage, and that's like a great escape that 45 or an hour. But I love working with other bands, and I love writing. I think that's my, at this point, my favorite. Now, do you write? Do you write on an acoustic guitar um, most of the time, or uh, no? piano or acoustic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Um, so I see that you guys are have uh, got a couple of festival dates coming up, uh, and you're getting ready to rehearse and do this kind of small tour. But you also are doing uh, this Kiss Cruise uh, coming up soon, right? Yep. How did you guys get uh, mixed up in that? Um, I don't know. I think they. Um, I did a co-write with Tommy Thayer in L.A. from Kiss, and he was awesome. And we recorded the track. Um, I think it's getting released in Japan. Um, is that a kiss track or, or? N- no me and him just wrote it it'll okay. be a biters but it's like we okay. just had a session guy out there play and, okay. and me and Tommy played bass and the guitar and we sang um, he's a great he's a great musician awesome so we did that uh, it's getting released in Japan I think so that was my kiss connection and then uh, my manager knows Doc McGee and they were talking uh, and then Six Man is crazy um the one that puts on the cruises are right down here. I actually knew a guy um, and they were talking about bands and he was like, man, we should put biters on. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. And then doc McGee ended up calling him saying, you need to put biters on. We need, to, we need some young rock and roll bands. Yeah. Six man is located here in Atlanta, right? They have a head just right down the street. Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah. It's crazy. So it all kind of like, they're like, we want an original band cause there's a lot of stuff is cover band. So that's going to be dope as shit. Yes. I'm a huge Kiss fan. Are you really? Yeah, and it's like um, we're yeah. There's it's a lot of cover bands. I think it's like Steel Panther, um, which are killer. They're a parody band though, um, but they're killer. And then I guess extreme, extreme. And then I guess we're like, and then a bunch of like 
cover band, so it's cool that we're on there kind of going to be doing... Yeah, you're yeah. one of the very few original bands on the cruise this year. That's right. It's basically it's you guys and and Extreme and I mean Kiss, yeah, Kiss, and then I mean yeah, Steel Panther. But yeah, it's a you know kind of a comedy show. But I think it. Well, I mean, as long as people know that Steel Panther's a comedy show, that's awesome. But it's weird when you go to Germany, but because the um, the, the language and kind of like the um, inflections, people don't know that's a joke overseas. They don't. They have no idea. Even when they see them live, like in Germany, no, they have no idea. Wow, that's a trip. It is because the music. It's if you insane. just listen to the music, I could see where you may not. But know picture if you're German and you can't speak English and you don't understand. Yeah, that's it, true. And they just think it's for real. Um, because I don't know if they get the inflection of like comedy, like when you go spray your hose, they think it's probably like pour some sugar on me. They have no idea what the difference is. Yeah, right on. Um, I mean, they're amazing musicians, those guys. They're oh, yeah. fucking incredible. And they're, I can't wait to watch them and hang out with them, but excited about that. And then we're doing, it's getting announced Friday. We've actually, we're going to do a full European tour opening for him and it's their last tour. And, That's right. um, it's crazy because it's like 5,000 people a night at the roundhouse in London, you know, and everything's sold out, which is dope. That it's is definitely huge, a different huge tour for you guys. That's that's a different pairing, I would say. Well, I mean, I've did everything from Scott Weiland to Sum 41 to Ace Freely to fucking right. Social D. We don't have a, any bands to tour with. Right. So to get in fr- they have a younger audience, and that's a, a big thing for us to try to get in front of kids, like you were saying. Very cool, very cool. Well, awesome. Um, you got a few more minutes. We can, we can do a lightning round. What do you say? What, what's lightning round? We'll, we'll just ask a bunch of questions. You say the first thing that comes into your mind. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> All, right. All right. You ready? Yep. All right. Do you sing in the car or the shower? Both. <laughs> and what song would you be singing? Mm, probably get out of my dreams, get into my van. <laughs> awesome. What record goes with you to the desert island? Uh, I got to pick two. It's got to be uh, Damn the Torpedoes, no, or Black Rose, Thin Lizzy, or Exile on Main Street. All right. Sorry. Cool. You just right. fuck with me. Yeah, there you go. That's what this is Ex- all. Exile on Main Street's a double album, so that gives you more material to go through. Uh, smart thinking. Uh, band that you wish you were in, like uh, any band. Oh, my God. Existing or non, uh, you know, uh, past or present. Mm. If you could play in any band, what would uh, it have been? Uh, pr- probably, probably ACDC. Really? Or the Stones, maybe. Okay. Who uh, would you pick? Me, personally, Van Halen. Oh, just because you want to hang out with Diamond David Lee Raw. There you go. <laughs> what an impeccable fucking front man and character. Crazy, right? Van Halen, but Van Halen in its prime. Like Early. 82, 83. 79 to 83. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. That's that's what I would do for sure. That's fun as hell. And I already talked to you about uh, cassette CDs. Are you a streamer or a, are you a streamer or a downloader? A Spotify. Spotify says stream. Yeah, I just pay the nine. Um, I don't feel bad about it because I'm getting ripped off on there anyways. I might as well join the fucking party. Well, it's probably easy as a traveling as a traveling musician. It's probably easiest. Right? Yeah, it eats up a lot of data, but it's crazy because you can uh, save the playlist to your phone. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'm fucking up the lighting round by talking. So, so you're no, it's all good. So you're getting ready to go out. You've already showered. You've got your hair just right. What album are you listening to before you go out in the clubs? Oh my god, probably fucking like R. Kelly and Dr. Dre and some crazy ass '90s shit really? like that. To be funny, yeah, to the party. <laughs> I always put on the rock stuff, man. That's what gets my blood going. I mean, of course, like party music. Yeah. I mean, Turbo Negro gets me fucking pumped up. What? I, I'm not familiar with that. They're kind of parody esque, and they're from Scandinavia, and they're like, they're awesome, dude. They got, <laughs> they're not as parody as Steel Panther, but they're fucking killer. They got some major hooks. They're a great party band. That's that's cool. Chuck, you've been awesome, man. You're fucking awesome. I appreciate you spending some time. Of course, buddy. Giving our listeners a little bit of a a deep look into the biters. Yeah, of course, of course. Do you have anything you want to push, like your website or anything like that? Where can people get a hold of you? I just think that people should um, support 
hardworking touring bands. There's not a lot of money to be made. I have a lot of my friends' bands that are continuing to push themselves on the road like me, and I just think it's important to buy the merch from the band, to spread it, and to try to be a fan. It's okay to be a fan. And they can pick up, uh, you guys got a web store where they can pick up uh, yeah, Biter's yeah. T-shirts and CDs. He's got a like pretty that. big web store, so yeah. Um, and that's, uh, is it? Bitersband.com. Bitersband.com. So yep. um, that's awesome. And then, uh, of course, go to your Facebook page and like that. And, yes, all uh, that. Follow the, the Biters for all tour that. information. Yes, all that. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com that's one word g-r-o-w-i-n-u-p-r-o-c-k.com or visit us on our facebook page at growing up rock and tell us all about it please make sure you subscribe to our podcast growing up rock and leave us a review on itunes give us a like and leave us a comment on facebook at growing up rock It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.